okay, well, here we are. There's no test. We're not doing a test this time. So don't need one. We don't need one. It's going to be so good. Today's episode, Eden. I've known Eden since 2008. I've known her longer than anyone else, and together we've gone through many iterations. When I reached out to get her to participate in this show, she, like many others, thought she didn't have a story to tell. But that wasn't the case for long. What are we talking about today? Um, Today we're talking about just my experience navigating uh, parenthood, um, being a child of abuse. Okay. Let's start in her current state. Recently transplanted to Southern Oregon, she and her family live on 40 acres in a remote town they knew nothing about. You know, a little bit of a risk. However, this was not our first rodeo. Um, Prior to this, we had moved to a small coastal town in Northern California called Jenner. Um, From there, we were in San Francisco. So we kind of abandoned the city life back um, actually in 2019, pre pandemic. Yeah, it wasn't so just, even a <laughs> pandemic decision. This was this was by choice. Normal life. <laughs> we we kind of landed in this really sweet little small town and uh luckily we've uh managed to land in a really nice community. Uh people are very very into the outdoors. There's a lot of wilderness, there's a lot of survivalists, there's a lot of hippies. <laughs> we've got a lot of a, a good mix of of um some very lovely people who have been super helpful to us. Survivalists and hippies aside, when they first landed in Oregon, Eden was eight months pregnant with her second child. Her son was one and a half. One wonders why they needed so much land. My husband, who is uh, really more of a finance guy, so it's surprising that we need this much acreage. Natural (laughs) progression goes from finance to chopping down trees. We had in Jenner, um, kind of our first introduction, fire safety, fire prevention, and forestry management was um, really kind of a necessity, something to learn when we moved to Jenner in our small seven acres at the time. (laughs) So we we got an introduction to to forest (laughs) management, which... A lot of that just means kind of identifying the trees that you need to cut down to create a defensible space. And so uh, because we just love being in areas of high fire risk, um, <laughs> we, we uh, you know, we, we took a leap and, and moved to another place where fire management and uh, forestry is important. Does she worry about the wildlife on so many acres? Not a bit. We have bears. We've got... Um, We've got, as they call them out here, cougars or mountain lions. Um, and beyond that, we've got a lot of wild turkeys. We've just seen a lot of really um, yeah. cool birds and, and uh, birds of prey out here. So, yeah, all yeah. that fun stuff yeah. <laughs> that my, my kiddos get to enjoy. So And, and maybe avoid. Yeah, and, and avoid. Hopefully not ever escape from. Before Eden embarked on this pioneer woman lifestyle, she lived in San Francisco. Before that, Seattle, where she and I met. And before that, a comparably small town, though not as remote as the one she lives in today. At 16 months old, Eden was adopted from South Korea and became the last addition to a large family nestled in a small town about 90 miles south of Seattle. I'm the youngest of five. They actually adopted four other children, also from South Korea, um, from different families. Only two of my 
siblings are actually biologically related to each other. Um, but they, at the time, my parents lived in Chehalis. And so yeah. that's where I was raised. Um, and it is a very kind of small town, although it's it's huge by by my current standard right, right. now. Um, <laughs> but there are a lot of dairy farms and, and a lot of farmers, like a lot of agriculture and stuff. Um, although we never lived on a farm there. My, yeah. my parents are not farmers, <laughs> but, um, but definitely we had the small town vibe for the most part. You know, I had, I feel um, for the most part, I had a good yeah. childhood and social group, I guess, that I was around. Eden's mother always wanted a family, but she herself wasn't able to have children of her own. As the main driver of these additions, her father was less committed, but wanted to support the building of the family via adoption. The expectation, back then, was that you had a family. The gap in age between Eden and her brothers and sisters is significant, the closest in age being seven years her senior, so she was on her own a lot. The abuse started early. My father is the one who actually sexually molested me as a child, and it started at a fairly early age. Um, and the I think because my siblings were so much older than me, and because I was kind of the younger one in the home and made it a little bit easier for that kind of stuff to happen, Right. Um, where I, I don't actually know if my brothers knew know about the abuse, but... Mm. Um, at the time, I, it wasn't even clear that if my sisters knew about it either. Eden's father would spend half the year away. As a chief engineer on a merchant ship, he was all in or all gone. When home, he was there in the morning, there after school, and the opportunity for abuse from someone so inclined was easy. When the abuse began, her child brain had yet to understand fully what was happening. Over time, it got worse and more frequent. I was just so young and I just had no idea what was happening, but I mm -hmm. just knew it wasn't right. And I always, I never remember being comfortable around my dad. Finally, I think in third grade, I actually said something to my mother. Mm. And I don't remember the exact details of that whole conversation, but it was essentially like something to the effect of, oh, it's okay. And Ugh. then we didn't talk about it again. Then, a few years later, when Eden was in the fourth grade, her parents split up. They sat us all down. They told us they were getting a divorce. And I think, you know, I, I'd be interested in uh, hearing what my siblings, you know, thought of at the time. Um, but I think for me, I was definitely relieved. And then, you know, the next day, I actually went to my mom and I said, hey, is, this, is it because of what I had told yeah. you? And she said, oh, no. Oh, and, you oh, know, okay. <laughs> and, and, you know, someone could argue, well, maybe she was trying to protect you or whatnot. Sure. But, um, you know, unfortunately, that just wasn't the case because, right. you know, when you start separating lives and talking about divorce, you also have to talk about uh, visiting plans. Mm. And because I was still in fourth grade, I was a part of a visiting plan. And so mm. my parents had separated. My dad had already found a place in Walla Walla and... My mom told me that I had to go spend the weekend with my dad. So I was pretty shocked about that. <laughs> Just given you yeah. know, what, what 
she must have known what I told her. Um, and the weekend that I was supposed to go, it would, like that Friday had come and I told her, oh, you know, I'm not feeling well. Yeah. And she's like, okay, well, you have to go to school anyway. You're going to your dad's this weekend. You know, so then I went to school and I remember making myself throw up. Uh, and then going to the teacher, and then she said, would send me to the nurse's office. And I played sick really well. And yeah. the nurse called my mom and said, hey, you should pick up your daughter. She's not feeling well. So my mom picked me up. And I remember just thinking, I did it. I got yeah. out of it. Yeah. And, you know, I think I had like maybe 40 minutes of peace before she said, well, your dad's almost here. He's going to take you this weekend. And so what happened is I distinctly remember the bathroom, the mm-hmm. bottom stairs bathroom where she told me that. And I just kind of crawled into a ball and started bawling like, please don't make me go there. You can't make me go there. Yeah. And at that point, my dad had arrived at the house, could hear the commotion and was very upset. And my mom was also very upset. And then my dad stormed off. And then my mom was just mad at me. Any research on the subject of child abuse, let alone the rates at which those affected report their abusers, becomes a deep black hole. But often, it's fear that prevents these children from speaking up. Some examples are fear that their family will be damaged, that they won't be believed, or they'll be blamed. The impact on her was a distrust of all adults, from a kid already on her own a lot. I was very, very like I said, a suspicious, a very skeptical child. I, my mom had also at that point when they had divorced, my mom, um, was kind of discovering her own social life, right. With leash. So, so she was going out on the weekends and I was, Mm I kind of grew up very quickly because I was left home alone by myself, which I loved. I love being myself. I valued that more than anything else. So I enjoyed, I enjoyed the, the weekends home alone. For Eden, the threats were internal and external, only helped by the norms of the late 80s, namely the readily available personal information in print and the anonymity from a landline. She faced a new foe. Another fun thing that happened to me um, was, you know, when I was younger, I think probably around the same age as when some of the abuse was was happening, for sure. Um, There is a, you know... Uh, there was a man who ended up calling our house. We had our we had our number listed in the phone book with our address <laughs> and our name. For, and then we had for those yeah. that don't know, a phone yes. book is what used to exist, and it had all of your information in print. And a landline <laughs> was this thing inside your house that anybody could answer, and you mm-hmm. didn't know. I mean, until caller ID, you didn't even know. You just, the phone would ring. It's a surprise every moment. You know how you say hello? It's because it used to be a question. (laughs) Hello? (laughs) That is important context. Right? Uh, Continue. And unfortunately, because we were the, you know, in the the small town that we were in, we actually had the adult line and we had the children's line. So our number was listed as the children's line. Unnecessary. Right under my parents' Awful idea. So (laughs) someone called that line and asked for someone, I forget what the name was. It doesn't matter. But, you know, I told him that she wasn't there and he ended up keeping me on the phone and he said his name was Jerry. And I 
I remember his voice. I know it. I can Ugh. hear it. There's no Ooh. doubt about it. I know this voice. Yeah. And uh, he started asking me questions about what I look like and more pointedly like what I look like naked. So oh my gosh. The calls were really short, but they happened quite a bit. And then finally, my mom had to intervene and would um, pick up the phone and, uh, you know, told him never to call again. Um, and so then when my the reason why I'm saying this is my parents ended up divorcing. We moved to a different house. We did keep that same line, but um, I was at the new house and the phone had rang and lo and behold, many years later, Jerry had, Jerry decided to call again. So I was a mess when he called and I just hung up and then I had to call my mom. My mom had to come home from work. We had to, we had to file a police report. It was a whole other thing. So, and Jerry's, Jerry wasn't. You never got to the bottom of Jerry, right? No, never did. Yeah. But um, we, so I was terrified. So yeah. I was pretty convinced that there was like no one you could trust. A childhood friend who lived in the same neighborhood and her family became close to Eden. As Eden watched her friend's father interact with his daughter, the worst that she observed was a tween eye roll. I just remember just always feeling very safe there and yeah. really appreciating it anytime I got to have dinner with them. They, yeah. they would take me on vacations and I just loved being over there. Kind of just what I really loved, I guess, about being over there is, you know, uh, my friend's dad was just so affectionate and loving and joking and just so happy. And he would just be, you know, really outward with his affection for his daughter. And, mm-hmm. you know, she would just kind of roll her eyes because, you know, that's what kids do. But, right. you know, I remember I actually do remember like looking closely at them and their interactions. And, you know, you never know what's going behind on behind closed doors. But right. I felt like as someone who was pretty aware of, you know, when a girl is uncomfortable around her father, just, sure. you know, avoidance, things like tactics like that. I just felt very confident that this was a man who really loved his daughter, never crossed the line. He was a decent human being. So yeah. I knew that there there could be people out there that they exist. So they were probably, yeah. I, I would definitely call those um, parents the first people that I feel like I, that made me feel like I could trust people. Wow. Wow. I should okay. let them know that. The family of her friend was such a safe place, a respite and an example of what should be. Coming out of middle school, which were some of her darkest years, she shifted her perspective, filled up her schedule, and eventually moved on. Um, And for whatever reason, I think when I entered high school, it was kind of the start of me feeling more confident and wanting Mm. to just kind of shed, shed all of those that kind of that that old part of me away. I didn't want to be afraid anymore. I wanted to be normal. I wanted to have a social life. And so I did everything to kind of revolt against the person I was at the time, which was hiding behind her hair, keeping herself clothed. Um, I mean, I kept myself clothed. (laughs) (laughs) And then she became a nudist. Um, but I, you know, I tried to try out for cheerleading and I did that. And so I just became a lot more social, more comfortable. So then, you know, thank goodness, you know, you get to leave town when you go to college. So I ended up in Seattle and, you know, I, I think, um, kind of something that followed me, um, was I, you know, even in high school, as soon as I could get a job, I got three jobs, three yeah. part-time jobs. I can't believe actually when I say that out loud because, you know, it yeah. was like working three full th- three three part-time jobs and then also doing cheerleading. Yeah. And so I think, you know, in hindsight, I realized I think I was doing everything I could to stay out of the house. Um, 
totally. out of my my um, house. My mom had a boyfriend. Um, you know, she she was seeing a longtime boyfriend, and he was fine, but I definitely didn't feel comfortable around them. So I just did everything I could to avoid being home. Anyway. Right. Bring it back to Seattle. I think what happened was, you know, I that that um, desire to just keep as busy as possible kind of right. followed me, and so I kind of threw myself into work. You know, would loved working extra hours, yeah. loved being out of the house, and I joined every kind of like corporate kind of activity or teams that yep. I could. So yep. I think I think uh, the habit honestly kind of followed me even um, into my 30s. I would say that that's that's kind of what I see the most, I guess, that has followed me through. I, yeah. I, I, I think, you know, really what it was was just avoidance. And mm-hmm. I didn't really have, you know, I didn't have like a serious relationship. I didn't have like a home that I was building. I was just kind of working and socializing and going out and drinking with, you know, coworkers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I think just, I think I just did that quite a bit. The momentum came from maybe you kind of running from, from this in the past and just trying to protect yourself by Possibly. staying really, really busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not, not realizing it at the time, of course, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> For a long time. Eden didn't think kids were going to happen for her. The idea that you could trust someone enough to know that they won't hurt your children truly seemed impossible. But as time passed, it felt more and more possible for her, but likely on her own. I would think about having kids, and I just didn't think that was really going to happen for me. I wasn't confident. You know, there were times, there were boyfriends that I was thinking, oh, maybe I could have kids with this person. Mm -hmm. Um, And thank goodness I didn't. Mm -hmm. But, (laughs) you know, I think, uh, you know, as I got into my 30s, I was feeling financially stable and independent. Mm -hmm. And And where were you in your 30s? Like geographically? Yeah, I was in San Francisco. Okay. um, And I had- Why were you there? I was there for work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for 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 work, I worked at a large tech company, and I, um, you know, really r- really loved my experiences there. And I I got I just yeah I think I felt I had a good social network from that mm-hmm. company. I built some of my best friends and lasting relationships there, and I think I was also starting to kind of slow down professionally too. Mm-hmm. In a way, I, I had done a lot of work and you know kind of like the crazy hours, and I think I was starting to kind of feel like my time was up at this company too. And I was feeling like I was financially stable. And I just, I don't know what it was, but I think I just realized I, I, I think that was the moment I realized, I think I have a lot of resilience and I think I have a lot of love, you know, that I could give to someone. And, you know, I, I realized I just, it just kind of happened. I just realized I wanted to give that to someone else. And mm-hmm. I wasn't in a relationship at the time. So I was really going, I was pro- really exploring steps on how to do this myself and how to mm-hmm. get a donor. And then, of course, I met my now husband <laughs> and, you know, realized that there was something there. And so he kind of put a halt on my timeline. <laughs> <laughs> but at, um, at, by that point, I definitely decided I, I wanted to have kids. Yeah. So. When you were thinking about it, were you thinking also about this trauma and abuse or was that just put out of your mind? Like how, where was that? So I think 
one of the reasons why I wanted to do this by myself was not only a, a factor of me not, you know, being completely single at the time, but I know that in my 20s, especially when I think about having kids, I was pretty certain there was no way I'd be able to find someone that I trusted enough to be the father of my kids. Right. I just know that, you know, my mom didn't set out to marry a monster. You know, sure. you don't know. Totally. You know? Yeah. And I've, I watched Who's a lot the of 20. the worst one I can find? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, and I mean, there's so many 2020 specials that, oh, you know, yeah. where people are like, oh, I had no idea this person yeah. who was in my bed for this many years, you know? So yeah. I was pretty certain that it would just be a safer bet all around for me to just do this by myself. But Eden isn't by herself. She and her now husband embarked on this journey together. He, someone who had not experienced childhood trauma, helps her believe that raising children could be a two-person job. I guess what like what convinced you or what happened so that you felt safe finally to do this with somebody else? Yeah. I the the my husband was uh he just he's someone that I have like a very deep trust with. Yeah. And uh he he's just a good human being and I think that as our relationship got more and more serious um I just I realized that there was more that I had to lose um with this relationship. I just knew that I did feel safe with him and I knew that I could talk about some of these the trickier topics with and he you know, it wasn't it wasn't like a, I'm pretty certain he's not going to abuse our kids, but it was just uh, I felt safe in the relationship, safe and secure in that he would be very careful with my feelings and yeah. that he would never do anything to hurt me and that he would be honest with what was going on in his mind. I actually did have a thought in my mind, like maybe I should maybe I should actually talk to someone about some of the traumas from my childhood in case that's playing into my relationship with David and uh, went to a therapist who I loved. And, you know, two sessions in, we realized this was actually not going to be a conversation about my dad and the abuse. Yeah. It was more about how do I handle my relationship now with David because I value it so much. Therapy shined a light on her patterns, her tendency to, at times, throw the baby out with the bathwater and how much she could count on David to talk through the gnarly bits. He wasn't going to hurt or take advantage of her. Apparently, all her problems were solved. Through the course of therapy, she was like, great. You know, I think that, you know, we don't really need to see each other anymore. And I was like, great. <laughs> You're cured. And I'm cured. <laughs> so I was, and I even remember thinking in my head, like, wow, I thought I had to go talk about my dad, but yeah. it really wasn't about that at all. I am awesome. Eden is awesome. But awesome people can be blindsided by their trauma, realizing in tender moments that the chapter on their past may not be fully closed. In the spring of 2021, she was changing her newborn son's diaper. As he wiggled around on the table, she took a moment to blow a raspberry on his little belly. The moment I did, it really like felt like a kick to the stomach. Wow. In a way I can't even describe. Um, because all of a sudden I was kind of flooded with some memories because that, that's, that is truly how my abuse started. It all began mm -hmm. from that moment. And I mm. totally did not, I just didn't remember that. And it's like, it's like grief and trauma. I think they just really rear their heads, you know, when you yeah. least expect it and are, are very ill prepared for it. So, um, yeah. that was the moment where I kind of had like the the wind knocked out of me, I would say. And I realized, you know, that that was still 
something that I had to deal with. At first, she put aside these feelings. It was easy. She had a newborn, was planning her wedding post-COVID delay, and starting to work out the details for a second baby. On top of everything else, they knew that a move to a bigger home to accommodate her growing family was also on the horizon. So what what did you do with that new information? I buried it deep inside and I put the food on top. <laughs> put the food on top. <laughs> I I you know, I had I, I briefly mentioned it mentioned it to like you and a couple of other close yeah. friends, but I had other stuff going on. So I had kind right. of a laundry list of things that I just needed to tackle that allowed mm-hmm. me to um, kind of push that further down. But Eden did start to think about her past and how it could have an impact on how she raises her kids. When I asked her to participate in this podcast, this is the story that bubbled up. She was ready to unpack and talk about what happened to her and how that could impact her outlook on parenting and her big love for her kids. I think there's like a lot of things that happen when you give birth and when you are in postpartum. And, you know, I. I I didn't have, um, you know, I, I didn't suffer from postpartum depression, but I think that what I, or to my knowledge, I guess I would say that, um, I, I think what happens though, as any parent is, you know, you're overwhelmed by love, but you also still feel like a little bit of a loss of self mm. and, and you just have nothing but time to sit there and look at your, stare at your baby <laughs> and, you know, just be by yourself in a way, you know, cause yeah. you're trying to keep this human alive in their first <laughs> few months. And, um, I think just realizing that I knew you know, I'm obviously in the thick of parenting. I've got two young children. I ultimately want to find my way back to who I am, you know, independent mm-hmm. of children, if that's even possible. Right. But just, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what's important to me. And so this just kept coming up. And I realized, you know, this was such a good opportunity to really think on this if I was willing to face it. And yeah. I think just because I have my two children to look after and I have a responsibility to them. I felt like I should and I felt like I was ready to. Being the resourceful mother that she is, Eden decided to reach out to her network and crowdsource some of the answers she was looking for. Opening up about her abuse, she asked three women in her orbit with children of different ages how they approach keeping their kids safe without making them afraid of everything. Did they worry about these things too? One of the women is my sister. And so her being aware of my past trauma, you know, asked her and she, uh, you know, all of them gave me really just interesting kind of advice and and nuggets to kind of chew on. You know, she, for instance, said that she just made it a culture of within her family of, you know, being present and asking how their day was and doing, you know, more of a deep dive, not just, you know, surface level questions, but really understanding, Mm -hmm. you know, how they're how their day was, how they reacted to things. And she said just by doing so, it was it was not necessarily to focus on the bad. It was really just to find out what what got them excited, what they loved, right. what they didn't like, you know. And so by doing so, she felt like she always had a good grasp on where they were at emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and so that that kind of culture has kind of followed her kids into their twenties now. Yeah. So I, I think that was that was just interesting and, and helpful. I think another another mother was talking about how she just really focused on, you know, teaching her kids right from wrong and just loving their ch- her children, 
exactly who they are, you know, yeah. as they are. Um, and she said by, you know, having these conversations about right or wrong or what one should do in the, in certain instances, it just kind of forced them to have a dialogue about tough topics, you know, like, you know, they're, she's got kids who are in the age of like social media and having their mm. own cell phones. So tackling those types of topics. And she, right. she and her husband are amazing. And they, um, they just talk to their children in, in a very yeah. candid way, but also aren't afraid to say, look, I'm your parent. And so yeah. I've got to enforce these rules. So, um, and then I, I really liked the, the third mother that I asked. She was just talking about how she, it was really important to her that her kids always felt um, empowered and able to kind of speak up for themselves yeah. um, to adults. So, yes. you know, not ever so being important. afraid of, of adults, not being afraid of their voice and, yeah. you know, being really comfortable. And it starts out, you know, her children are young. So it even starts out with, you know, things like when they're at a restaurant, she makes sure not to order for them. Yeah. She says, you can order, go ahead yep. and order, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just thought that was so interesting. And I thought that was a really, um, neat way to kind of promote, you know, like a self-assurance and, uh, you know, a confidence within a child. So, um, all of them had really good advice and I I think, you know, just talking with them actually gave me quite a, quite a sense of relief. I didn't, I didn't feel like I was this freak of nature for having these fears in my mind. And Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like, I've like been kind of marred by this like scarlet letter in a sense because of my past trauma. Right. Um, And so I I feel, I I don't know how to explain it, but I just felt more um, less alone, I guess, in talking to these other mothers about what they do because they Mm -hmm. all, they all were talking about how, you know, we've got a million (laughs) things running through our heads about our kids, but this is what we do and this is what we know to be true and we're doing the best that we can, Yeah, you know? And, and I just thought that was very comforting. I guess I was expecting them to have very wildly different approaches and it just felt like what they said just made sense and was good advice. This advice invaluable stems from the parents ability and desire to create a safe place, an environment that Eden didn't have. Safety is listening to a child when she speaks and believing her. Not a lot of people were listening to Eden, and when they did hear her, she was dismissed. Her husband David has proven to be everything she hoped for in a parent, but his background is not the same. What balance needs to be struck in order to not over-index on safety versus wonder? When I realized that my past trauma was a thing, and then I had to add that to the litany of worries that I have for my children, I, I kind of, it really did keep, did and does still sometimes keep me up at night because yeah. I think about, okay, well, this, the, you know, I need to teach about consent. I need to, you know, uh, use... Um, you know, uh, adult terms. I need to, you know, make sure that they know um, how to handle themselves in every possible scenario, which is just impossible to do. Totally. You can't really do that. And, you know, David, David didn't have any of the traumas that I, I did. So he, yeah. um, 
luckily doesn't think about some of this stuff, not because he isn't worried about it, but just because it's, it doesn't come top of mind to him. You right. know, he, he wants his kiddos to, he wants our kids to, um, you know, be open and free to experience and trust people and all that. And, you know, in theory, I think that's how I've tried to live my life. And that's how David and I have tried to live our lives together you know, but now that I have kids, I'm like, no, I do not want them to trust anyone. I need no. to fully vet someone who is in our kids' lives yep. before I can even look at them without giving them the side eye. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Who the so, hell are you? Yeah. <laughs> um, the benefit is that David and I continue to talk about this and have talked more about this um, recently. And, and, you know, I think his his being very aware and understanding of my situation and kind of the fears and where I come from, mm -hmm. I think is helpful. And, you know, my, I do have a deeper desire more than, more than, you know, kind of protecting them in a way. I have a deep desire for my kids to be able to live their lives, you know, mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. in the way that I was able to live my life in a sense, you know, I, I, that trauma happened to me, but I, I moved on, you know, I lived my life. I explored, yeah. I, you know, I had adventures. I, you know, like fell in love, you know, and, and I want them to be able to enjoy meeting people and stuff without the, without the, um, without all those fears. I want them to, to appreciate kind of their world and the people in that, um, more than anything else, if I may. You, may. Just, you know, I read this one poem um, by this poet named Maggie Smith, and it's a really uh, lovely poem just about, you know, a, a mother with her newborn child, and it's called First Fall. But the line that really kind of hit me um, really <laughs> to my core was the last line, which said, you know, I'm desperate for you to love the world because I brought you here. So that, that sticks in my mind because I, yeah, like above all else, like for everything that's happened to me, so much more beauty, I guess, has, has also, you know, mm -hmm. um, presented itself to me. And I feel very yeah. fortunate. And I, I, I do love a lot of things about the world. I love the people that I've met. I love the, the, the risks that I've taken with people, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and um, I just, I think that line is a good reminder for me to make sure um, that I keep myself in check and don't, mm -hmm. you know, don't, um, you know, base my, <laughs> my parenting, you know, and fear and, and really just make sure I try yeah. and let my kids know, you know, what's right, what's wrong and how right. to keep themselves safe, but, you know, enjoy yeah. the world because they can, they have every right to be here. And yeah. Ugh. I love this. I love, I mean, I don't love the fact that you had this trauma, but I think that, you know, you've, you have a good partner and you've set yourself up well to not wreck those little kiddos. <laughs> I, I, I will say that I feel a, a deep sense of pride that I have picked. I have been lucky enough to, to pick the father that I have yeah. for them, you know? Yep. He's a good one. Eden and her partner, when he's not chopping down trees or in Excel spreadsheets, are the right mix of wonder and safety, adventure and schedules, mom and dad. It's important to appreciate the present while acknowledging and sometimes caring for your past. So I asked her, like I ask all my guests, pick an age or stage of life. What gift would you give yourself? Um, well, definitely. I, I would have gone back to that moment when I had gone to my mother and I just would have 
Um, I'm sorry. I think I just would have told her that what had happened was not her fault, that it wasn't right, and that she that she just deserves someone to step in and stop it. Yeah. And care about her enough to stop it. So yeah. I think that's just the the one thing that I would you know, and yeah, that's probably what I would say. Yeah. She really deserved it. Little Eden. Well, I appreciate you. I think you're wonderful. I know your kids and <laughs> they are the best and wonderful and do not seem afraid of everything <laughs> in spite of the fact that they live in close proximity to cougars and bears <laughs> and hawks and just darkness because 40 mm-hmm. acres is a lot of acres. But I, I think you are the best and I so appreciate you sharing this today. I think that there's a lot of connection and impact that's going to happen from you talking about this. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me, Sophia, and thank you for everything that you've done to help me through a lot of this. Well, I just, I wish we had a time machine, but that's for another show. (laughs) Um, Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Story Goes, the podcast dedicated to highlighting the everyday and celebrating the stories that shape us. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this show, reach out to me directly at Sophia at Gifted, that's G-I-F-T-D, dot work. The theme music was composed by Daniel G. Harmon, who also edits and produces this thing. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.